Brick Moon Fiction presents The Bunker by Jason D. April Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle I used to be like you. Well, I used to believe I was. But I really wasn't, was I? As he spoke, the man knelt down to look at the other, staring into his eyes. He watched the old man's head shaking, his body quivering with fear, the sweat pouring from his face. Hands tied behind the back of the chair, ankles strapped to the legs, and duct tape over his mouth, the old man was terrified and confused. His captor was younger in comparison, middle-aged, maybe a bit too heavy, salt-and-pepper hair. The man wore jeans, a button-up flannel shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and held a very large, adjustable wrench the color of rust and wet blood tightly in his left hand. He stared, unblinking, at the tied, tired old man until the old bastard closed his eyes and turned his head away. And no, the first man said, standing again. You don't know me. He turned around. The room was larger than any apartment he'd had, almost as big as the old house. There was a wall of windows to one side, at least he thought they were windows, but they must have been elaborate video screens. At one end was the steel door he'd come through and on the ground the bodies of two security guards. He knew their names, where they lived, what they did for money. They weren't Secret Service, as he'd first thought when he started planning all this before the world went insane. The old man was the money behind politicians, but didn't warrant government security. After a few weeks of scouting, researching, and investing in new skills, he stopped wondering why someone like the old man hired sketchy off-the-books security. He looked back at his captive, meeting his eyes for a second before his victim turned away, stifled whimpers under the tape. He had even stopped referring to his query by a name— Now he was just the old man, or worse, barely even human. No, you don't know me, he said, but I'm probably more like you now than I ever was back then. One step, two steps. The old man cried a little more loudly, seeing the angry man raise the wrench up. Like you, I'm a dead man who was too stupid to even realize it. He looked down at the whimpering man while feeling the weight of the wrench, wondering how long he could resist using it. I bet you'd like to know why. There was an awkward silence for a moment before the old man started nodding emphatically and mumbling something. Yeah, I bet. I'm the villain, right? I should tell you my whole mad plan. That's how they do in the movies. He smiled. You can call me Bob, by the way. He laughed and shook his head, and then stopped. Bob's eyes locked on the door at the end of the room, at something in front of the door. It was her. Again. He stifled a gasp. She stood between the two bodies, staring back at him. Carly, twelve years old, wearing a flower-emblazoned spring dress. Daddy, she said in a voice that carried over like a breeze, what are you doing? What needs to be done, he answered. The old man looked confused as he turned back to him, but Bob didn't care. She was still there, now on the opposite end of the room. Older, about nineteen. Second year of college, wearing baggy jeans and a hoodie. He remembered it was what she'd been wearing over break when she came home. Came home with her girlfriend. She just sprang it on him and her mother. No warning. No time to ramp up. Bob had taken a wrong turn somewhere. Too many lost chances and no one to blame but himself. But in the face of dealing with his failures head on, he did what most men did at that crossroads. He found others to take the blame didn't matter who. So he listened to the hate. He watched it, soaked it up, and believed it. 
By the time Carly came home, he'd been in full-blown right-wing propaganda mode. Hate spread by people like this old man. Bob could remember nodding along to their pathetic rants, laughing at the jokes about how they'd like to hang them all. He'd started believing the endless repetition of hellfire and brimstone, even if he'd only believed in a god in the most casual and empty way. Staring at Carly now, at what he knew was just another part of his irrevocably fractured mind, he felt nothing but shame. There'd been a thing that night, of course. His fault. A fight. His fault. Janice knew, of course. She had the good sense and decency to understand their daughter was her own person, not some product of parental expectations. He'd been so furious at both of them, accusing them of conspiring against him, of helping to pervert the country. He'd said a lot of things. All terrible. All idiotic. All hurtful. It had a landslide effect, tainting the next few years. He stopped talking to his own child, his beautiful little girl, and he'd just thrown her out like trash. His wife had enough soon after. Whoever he used to be, she'd said, was gone and in his place was someone no one should put up with. So she didn't. He'd quietly checked on her just last week. She was living in New Mexico now, remarried to an accountant who really loved to garden, or at least take pictures of gardens. He seemed nice enough, and she looked happier than she had in years. It was good. She deserved some escape from the nightmares. The night Carly died still echoed through Bob's head. He didn't even know she was in Florida when he heard about the shooting. It was just another in a numbingly endless line of shootings, but this time, a gay nightclub. He just started to scan the other channels while the news still flowed through the preview box in the corner of the TV. Bob tried to not listen or care, but a terrible dread clung to him. Overwhelmed, he just let the remote fall and sat unmoving with his eyes locked on the images of violence and suffering. Then the phone rang. Bob blinked and she was gone again. He sighed and looked down at the old man. I bet this place cost your idiot sheep a lot he said, shaking his head. I bet it cost some of them everything, those desperate old women who believed you could get them into heaven. Bob tapped the old man on the knee with the wrench, making the man cry out pathetically. What's it like to blatantly lie every day of your life? Sucking up the hopes and dreams and money of people desperate for some kind of meaning and purpose. Bob's eyes never strayed from the old man's. I bet it's fun, right? Maybe when you started, you had some tiny voice in your head saying it was wrong, but then the money started coming in and you discovered they'd believe anything you said. Bob laughed. You know, I almost fell for it too. Almost sent you money. Almost believed that God wanted you to have a private jet. He shook his head and grunted in amusement. I mean, fuck it, right? If they're stupid enough to believe it, why not take them for all they're worth? The old man started shaking his head and protesting, as if trying to defend his own honor. Honestly, Bob continued, I wouldn't give two shits about that if you just kept it at that. But you didn't. You had to get political. Start collecting politicians to push your own agenda, and you had to start spreading hate on people who never did shit to you. Bob sighed. He knew it didn't matter. People like this didn't change. Money was power and hate sells. He'd been planning this for so long, fueled by hate and rage, and then the election happened. 
The results came out and the melting pot of the entire country hit the boiling point. America exploded. He had to either move or not. He chose to move. To do it just because he wanted to. This wasn't about sending a message or helping anyone else. It wasn't to honor the dead or protect the living. It was violent, vindictive revenge, and Bob decided just before he got through the bunker's main entrance that he was okay with that. Now, it was time to end it. He liked the idea of going past the point of no return. All he could do was follow the plan to the end. He didn't leave a note. No explanations. What savings and valuables he'd made sure would go to people who could use it. Those sons and daughters who, like his own baby girl, needed the most support but were cursed with parents like him. He especially liked the idea that the old man would die with only the knowledge that he was hated. No ridiculous diatribes. No explanations. He'd burn away and the last thing he'd see was Bob's face and not know why. Bob walked away from the old man as if he weren't even there. Opening the entrance door, a thick steel reinforced security door with unfinished locks, he passed into the long concrete tunnel that led to the surface. The bags were right where he left them, thick pale and stained canvas bags he used to carry his tools in on construction sites. Beside those sat two five-gallon red plastic gas canisters. When the riots started, the old man immediately fled to the bunker. Didn't stop, didn't pass go, didn't collect $200. He didn't even bother trying to get his latest wife or mistress or call his kids. All their panicked calls to him just went to voicemail until the cell signals became so clogged nothing got through. The bunker wasn't quite ready. It had supplies, working gas, and electricity. But the security system wasn't up yet, and the utility closets were still wide open and in disarray. It was a huge boon for Bob, as it gave him easy access to what he needed to burn the place in on itself. Shouldering each bag in turn with a grunt of effort from their weight, he knelt slightly and grabbed a gas can in each hand before walking back to the entrance room. The old man watched in horror, but Bob didn't stop or look at the man. He went through an open entryway, following the map he'd memorized from construction diagrams. The main utility closet was a mess of pipe and electrical, coaxial, and networking cables. The touchscreen interface hung limply as if its installation had been interrupted. Why? her voice asked. She sounded as if she were crying, but he didn't look as he set the cans and then the bags down and reached into one. Pulling out a cordless drill and a few other tools, he peered into the mess of pipes and cables, nodding to himself when he found the proper intake. Daddy, she whispered again, why are you doing this? Bob sighed loudly, pushing the drill through gaps in the piping to reach the right spot. You remember, he started, grunting again and hitting his head trying to angle his view. You remember when I tried to teach you to ride a bike? You weren't ready yet. Too scared of losing your balance and falling. I pushed. He pulled the drill's trigger and ran it through the metal pipe before pausing. I pushed and pushed until you got so upset that you ran back inside. He leaned out, looking up at her. She must have been around nine now. His hand searched around for something in the bag, but failing that, he slowly turned and looked into the bag, rifling through it and pulling out some smaller parts and a large roll of duct tape. He set those down on the floor of the closet near where he'd drilled and reached into the other bag, pulling out thick blocks of a green putty-like substance, along with several black, cigarette-sized sticks. He looked up at Carly and smiled. You weren't ready, and I didn't listen. 
I got mad at you because I was an asshole. I was never worthy of being your father. Never able to see beyond what I wanted instead of what you needed. He stuck his head back into the piping area, banging things inadvertently the whole time. I don't care if you're just my imagination, Carly, he said, still working. Even this is better than what life was after you died. It's more than I deserve, but I'll take even just an illusion of you. He let a satisfied murmur slide out slowly, looking up at her, now around eighteen. He nodded at her and smiled. I was a shit father, he said. But damn if I can't rig gas lines to blow up real nice. Carly was crying, shifting ages and positions around him. But why? She cried again. Bob stood up, wiping his hands on his pants. There were new cuts and scratches on them. A line of blood dripped off his knuckles. Well, he said, staring at her, I lost you twice. I lost your mother. And it was all on me. It was all my fault. He turned, nodding, and looking down into the tool bag. Bob bent down and grabbed a small black rectangle with a metal switch on it. I'm not proud, Carly, he went on. But I don't want to live anymore, and I thought, just this once, I'd try to do something right. So, here I am. No one will know. No one will miss me or that horrible bastard. For the first time in years, I feel good and sure about my life. Bob picked up the gas cans. He turned and started to walk away, but stopped, looking back at her flickering like old photos in the hall, he smiled. Goodbye, baby girl. I love you. Carly's visage stopped shifting as he walked out, stuck in the moment of that night when she'd come out to her parents, an expression of despair on her face, her hands moving up in slow motion to cover her mouth. Sounds of liquid sloshing and muffled cries came from the other room, then a strange hissing sound, followed by intense screaming and a barely audible click. The utility closet exploded out, engulfing Carly's image in fire and shrapnel. Fire started erupting through the lines, blowing out of the walls through the entire complex. The flames raged upwards and worked through the ceiling panels, eating everything in their way. The structure simply folded in on itself, as tons of dirt from above poured down. When all the dust had settled outside, when the police and military backed down against their own citizens, when some semblance of peace eventually came to pass, almost no one even noticed the indent of rough ground in rural Virginia. It was weeks before anyone even really noticed the old man was missing and outside the spotlight. Those who did, didn't shed any tears. It was almost two years before anyone investigated the site. Excavators eventually found four bodies, charred and crushed. One belonged to a television evangelist who had been under active investigation by the FBI for several years for a laundry list of fraud and tax-related crimes. Two of the bodies came back with a litany of international warrants from Central America to the Ukraine, mostly involving murder, extortion, and kidnapping. The fourth body was never identified. No criminal records. No matches in any DNA databases. It was determined to be a kidnapping attempt. Gone very wrong. Jason D. April has been writing professionally for over 20 years, mostly in nonfiction. You can find his bylines appearing on such sites as Playboy, Paste Magazine, Motherboard, Upload VR, and others. Occasionally, he even lets bits of fiction escape out into the wild. Jason does not tweet. 
This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.